Hey, Vince McMahon, it's time for this week's Stick to Wrestling podcast. Oh, no, give me a break. Oh, brother. My name is John McAdam. This is the Stick to Wrestling Podcast, where if you give us 60 minutes, perhaps indeed, we'll give you a wicked good podcast of pro wrestling. Uh, this is mostly a pro, a pro wrestling podcast from 70s, 80s, and 90s. We're going to do a little bit of 80s today. You want to join our Facebook group, just search Stick to Wrestling and join the group. Uh, lots of pictures, results, good conversation. If you would like to follow me on what I think used to be Twitter, just search John McAdam and follow the guy with the Stick to Wrestling logo as his avatar. And if you would like to donate to this show, just PayPal me at ProWrestlingArchives at gmail.com. No, uh, no, no donation is too little, and no do- donation is certainly too much. And I want to tell you what I've been doing with those donations. But before that, I want to bring on our guest, returning to this podcast after too long an absence, Mr. Thomas Bain. Thomas, thank you for coming on. Thank you, John. And I can tell uh, maybe a Freudian stutter over the no donation is too small portion of that. <laughs> field, so it, it, it's noted. <laughs> Duly noted. So here's what I did, Thomas. Here's what I spend my donation money on, right? I'm going through some old electronic stuff yesterday, trying to find something, and I get and I see my my old PlayStation Two. And I'm like, gosh, wouldn't it be fun to play this? So it didn't work on my old TV. Long story short, because it's RCA into HDMI, so undeterred, I go to Amazon and I order a new. Uh, converter cable. So as soon as we get done recording, I'm going to be playing games on my old PlayStation 2 on my brand new TV. You had an RCA TV. Did it come with Gunsmoke TV trays? No, it doesn't have RCA. That's why I had to get the conversion oh, cable. I'm thinking of the brand RCA. I'm sorry. Uh, funny anecdote about PlayStation 2. Um, about five years ago, there was a, um, they call it a vintage video game store, but I mean, it's it's just old, you know, resell video games. I went ahead and I had this like grandiose idea. I was going to buy every uh, PlayStation 2 college football game they had uh, from 03, I believe, all the way until I believe 2010 was the last thing they made. And it only ran like 35 bucks. My, my plan was I was going to play a dynasty, then go to 04, play a dynasty, go to 05, so on and so forth. I think I made it like a season and a half of 2003. I'm like, what am I doing with my life? I'm, you know, in my <laughs> late 30s. I, I, you know, I've mothballed it ever since. I, I, I predict this trivia thing, this this blast from the past, is going to last about an hour for me. I bet I will still be eating Chinese food by the time I get bored with this. <laughs> I actually, uh, during COVID, uh, during the, the throes of the original uh, panic pandemic, I went on uh, Amazon or eBay or whatever it was. And bought one of those emulators that hooked up in the back of your TV, and it had every single Nintendo game, Super Nintendo game, Sega game, et cetera, et cetera. And I think I played the arcade version of WrestleFest one time, and I played Tetris and Dr. Mario, and I'm like, ah, I'm done with it. Yeah, like I said, I think it's going to last less than an hour, and it's funny because the when the PlayStation 2, when the first PlayStation came out, 
I was like, oh, my God, this is, you know, unreal. Look at these graphics. Oh, my God. And now it's like, get this garbage out of here. And I'm sure if I'm around in 20 years and I'm looking at, you know, Grand Theft Auto 4, which blew my mind when I first saw it, I was like, oh, I'm going to be like, oh, get this old crap out of here. Yeah, everything's going to change. But at some point in time, just like anything else, there is a ceiling. You know, like, I'm sure people thought in 1969 that we weren't going to be stunted landing on the moon. They thought by 2023, we'd be like, you know, on another galaxy by now. So at some point in time, you reach the thresholds of, of what mankind can do. Exactly. It's If it's going to look like, you know, exactly like people in a movie, I mean, that's coming and you're just not going to get any better than that. But stick to wrestling. Let me let me tell you guys what I what I dragged Thomas through. Right. I say to him maybe two months ago, hey, let's do this show. And then I'm, something else came up. I'm like, we have to change the timing of this. Then I finally watched the episode we're going to be talking about on Thursday night. And I'm like, this is garbage. We can't do a show on this. And then the next day, I'm like, okay, I'll cut it down, and we'll still do the show on this. This is the hell I have dragged Thomas through. And this is the hell I'm about to drag all of you through. We are going to review the Morton Downey Jr. show. And they had pro wrestlers on in the summer of 1988. What a catastrophe this was, Thomas. I've watched this uh, for the first time probably about eight or nine years ago. Before I, we get into the show, it was on YouTube. It, well, this, this particular episode is on YouTube. That's where I found it. But I also found a documentary on Morton Downey Jr., but it's called Provocateur. It's actually really quite good. Huh. No, it, it, it's really wild. Like he. People wonder, you know, where the Morton Downey Jr. came from. His dad was a famous crooner in the 30s and 40s. Morton Downey Jr. actually in the 50s tried to parlay his dad's fame into his fame, had a minor hit, you know, crooning as well, and, you know, fell back into earth. Was actually a big supporter of Bobby Kennedy and, and was a friend of the Kennedy family through the 60s, and then slowly, you know, turned into the conservative uh, mouthpiece that he was when the show came out. And it kind of talks about the meteoric rise of this show on WOR and how it, it kind of just one day just fell like a stone. Yeah, it was one of those things. I used to watch it on Channel 38 if I was around and if, you know, I, or I didn't have anything else to do. And it's one of those things. If, if you see it once, it's kind of funny. The second time, it's, you know, okay, I've already seen this. And by the third time, you're like, yuck, this is, you know, same same act every night. But this time he did pro wrestling and it was, it was quite the episode and we have audio for you for review purposes. Let's hear the beginning of the Morton Downey show from 1988. Okay. Okay. First name. You got a real diamond? Uh, yes, it's real. I don't wear nothing fake. Nothing's about the doctor's fake. Get that straight. R right here. Right, right at front. I'm not fake. Go ahead, pal, about tell me what you're going to tell me. My diamonds are not fake. Tell I'm me what you're going to tell me. Hey, uh, this guy here, Wilson. First thing, I never heard of you, never heard your name before you went on some news show and come out saying that wrestling's fake and all this and that somebody wanted to make love to you or some, some man or something. Well, see, I've never had that problem. You say it goes on everywhere. I've never had that problem with a man. Man never come up and ask me nothing because I had plenty of women. Now, I've been in wrestling 15 years. No promoter ever made love to me or tried to make love to me or asked me for sexual favors. I think you're a liar. I think you're a liar and you want publicity. That's all you want. I don't think you can play football. I don't think you can wrestle. I don't think you're, I don't even think you should be out here. I think you're just somebody that wanted to come up here and say, I'm a professional wrestler. There's a thousand people out here, a hundred thousand people who want to get in a limelight. And you say, you come out and say, 
first thing I want to know, what gives you the right to even be out here? Have go you ahead, ever beat me, anybody? Have Jim, you ever been I, I don't even know. Answer, man. That was Dr. D, David Schultz, uh, dressing down Jim Wilson. Jim Wilson uh, came on 2020 in 1985 and said that wrestling was fake, and that that was uh, Dr. D's response to Jim Wilson, who's sitting right across from him. Thomas, I had been a a hardcore pro wrestling fan uh, for like nine years in 1985, okay? I had I bought every magazine and then I went to the back issues and I bought every single back issue of the after mags out there. And literally until I saw Jim Wilson on 2020, I had never heard of him. I didn't know what to make of the guy, but it turns out his career was legit. I'd never heard of the guy and talked in this video. Actually, uh, the video, you know, the actual original airing of this show came out in uh, you know 1980. I was a small child at the time. First of all, you need John. You the audio of this does not do it justice alone. I, I strongly beg you to have pr- provide a link to this show for a couple of reasons. First of all, Jim Wilson, is that a toupee or not a toupee? I think that's like three it. toupees. <laughs> and I'd like to point out, too, that he clearly – the reason why his career didn't hit the pinnacles that he thinks it, thought it should have was he was clearly a thief in the locker room. As he clearly stole Bob Backlund's leisure suit to wear on the Morton Downey Jr. show after this episode here. David Schultz. Uh, can I talk about course, that for a minute? Go right that, ahead. That suit he was wearing was was ridiculously out of style like five, six, seven years prior. And he's out there wearing this ridiculous thing in 1988. Well, I mean, I guess. <laughs> I, I'm looking at his hand, trying to find the, the big gaudy pinky rings. Like he, he doesn't have the necklace on, but but David Schultz coming on there. And as we get further into this, like I, I feel that a certain promoter that's been talked about a lot uh, on the Arcadian Vanguard Network had a lot to do with what wrestlers showed up to the show. But I, I guess was Jim Wilson's Jim Wilson's book was out at this point in time, right? Obviously. I, you know what? I don't think it was out yet. I I think his book came out like late nineties, early two thousands. I I might be wrong, but I don't think well, his book where, was out yet. Then where in God's name did they dig him up from? Because you figure eighty four, eighty five when he was on twenty twenty, he's so far removed from the the world of wrestling's you know purview. I mean. I'm sure no one in the Northeast that had W and now brand WOR was nationwide. I, I got WOR when I was a kid as well, but I mean, short of a few pockets of the Southeast, who knew Jim Wilson even was? No, the only, the only way I knew him was from his appearances on 2020 at this point, And then he's back on the Morton Downey Jr. Show like three and a half years later. I think, the only reason that Jim Wilson and Thunderbolt Patterson, we'll hear more from him later, were on the show is they were the only two people willing to talk, and th- that was kind of it. They were the only two former pro wrestlers who were willing to come out and say that, you know, pro wrestling is not on the up and up. I mean, it was that deeply ingrained. I mean, you, you, we just listened to Dr. D. David Schultz. He's been out of the business for three years now, Okay. He's got nothing to gain by swearing up and down that wrestling is legit when we, we all knew it wasn't. And yet he is, you know, he is pounding the table, insisting that no one's ever asked him to lose a match. 
again, like I, I get Thunderbolt Patterson. I get that he's still, you know, in 1988, 89, still a semi-prominent name in the wrestling world. But at that point, like, why not bring Eddie Mansfield in? Why not bring in anybody out of the business that could be disgruntled? Because by that point in time, with the territories drying up, I'm sure you could have found, you know, a, a slew of people that were at least semi-recognizable. But Jim I Wilson. Mean, Maybe it's funny though. The wrestling world was so different back then. Even it was changing, but like, and I, I would say that both. I would say that you know Schultz is just way behind the times here. But I mean, he you know again here he is you know swearing up and down that it's real, and it's just the way those guys were brought up. And also the 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 promo he cuts on Jim Wilson about the uh, the sexual favors thing. If you go on YouTube as well, there's a, there's a promo that he cut in the AWA. And Lou might recall that because I believe this is promoting a house show out in the Bay Area where he's kind of given the same uh, the same uh, job to Hulk Hogan, actually. So if you can go ahead and find that on YouTube as well, maybe. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a YouTube plug machine today, by the way. Yes. All right, so I'll tell you what. Let's keep going. Uh, more of the Morton Downey Jr. show from 1988. Well, number one, uh, because of my sexual persuasion... Uh, and the fact, the, the fact that I didn't want to participate, uh, but he had light, been it, in the business 15 years and that never happened to him. How come it happened to you? Hey, maybe I mean, he didn't like him. And he's not, he's not maybe any the prettier than you like are. Him. Huh? I guess the promoter didn't like him that way. Did he like you? He must've. Did you kiss him? You know, he, you know, he's, he's, did you ever wrestle? Did you ever wrestle? Did I what? Did you wrestle, Jim? Of course I wrestled. You Did wrestle? you win anything? I've wrestled and I've been in the business since 1968. How many matches have you had? A couple thousand. A couple thousand? Dr. D, sounds like... Uh, I've never heard of him. You never heard of I've him? never heard of him. Boy, what name did you wrestle under? Running his I, I wrestled under my own name. All right, let me, let, let me ask you then. Anyone who watches wrestling knows that with, uh, you know, two big guys colliding in the ring, they can hurt each other. But you say that a promoter forced you to hurt yourself in the ring with a blade job. Now, what is a blade job? Well... He, it's, it's not a matter... I'm glad it said blade because after your first thing, I was... Hmm, kind of a job it was. It, it, it's... I was told that when I was in Australia, I was overseas, and because I wouldn't go to bed with this, with this guy... Again? Another no, guy? No, that was the first time. Okay. The first and only time. He told his booker to make me... What'd you Start say, hooker? Did, you, did he say hooker? And did he say hooker? I think he said booker, Doc. Okay, I'm. Uh, I didn't. I do you know what a booker is? What uh, do I know? What a do you know? What a booker is? I know what a booker is. I know what a fool is. I know what a liar is and a goof. And you're a liar and a goof. And well, I don't think you can wrestle. You never could. Thomas, Jim Wilson, we did a show, you and I did a show, maybe a year and a half ago, when we had the Phil Donahue show, where they had Vince McMahon and Barry Orton, Dave Meltzer, John Arezzi, etc., and they talked about, you know, what was going on, the underbelly of the wrestling business, and they said to, uh, who was, what was the name of the guy who was claimed that he was fired because he wouldn't sleep with Pat Patterson? 
Oh, uh, Murray Hodgkin. Murray Hodgkin, thank you. Murray Hodgkin was great on that show. Phil Donahue says, okay, without telling, taking us around the world, what happened? And Murray Hodgkin said, well, I wouldn't sleep with this guy, so I got fired. And that was, you know, Jim Wilson is the exact opposite of that. He takes you around the world like 20 times, and I still don't know what a blade job is. Well, I'm assuming that he's, a, he's trying to implicate Jim Barnett in the uh – being the Australian promoter that punished him by not sleeping with him because at that point in time, it was an open secret that Jim Barnett was gay without naming his name, obviously to get sued, but which, which gets to the point though, you know, you can, you can kind of read between the lines here. If there was any speck of truth to this, he would have named Jim Barnett by name to have some kind of validity to it. But I'm sure he knew if I say Jim Barnett's name and it didn't, didn't happen, he's going to sue the shit out of me. So I better just say Australian promoter, and then you could, if you figure it out on your own, you figure it out on your own. Also, have you ever heard someone call another person a goof in such an angry way? <laughs> well, he said he knew what a goof was. I don't know. Yeah, really. I mean, usually the word goof is just like, oh, you know, like you're using something something really worse than that when you're angry. But, you know, Schultz, man, and and Schultz is clearly in the, the entire show. He is trying to intimidate Jim Wilson. And, you know, Jim Wilson obviously is older, is not in shape. And just it was not going to be a match for David Schultz. You, you watch this show. And if you've seen it in the past, other instances of the, of the uh, as it gets on further on, this was clearly ahead of its time. Um, this, this show is what ultimately paved the way for the Jerry Springers of the world. Had oh, absolutely. This show, had this show debuted a, a half dozen years later, it would have it would have stood the test of time. It would, it would have lasted, you know, as long as you know Morton Downey Jr. was alive. I think. But I it, was, can... it, was, it was too much too since the 1980s. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I, you know, like I said, I watched it. I thought it was funny the first time, and then it just got stupider and stupider. All right, I'll tell you what. Let's listen to some more audio from the Morton Downey Jr. show, 1988. I still, Jim, I still don't know what the blade job is. Tell me what that is. A blade job is where they want you to bleed. So you're in the fight. And, I, and I told him I wouldn't do it, and he said you're not going to. What are you supposed to do, cut yourself with the blade? Right, exactly, to produce the blood. And because Can't you carry a little capsule and break it if you no, want. No, that's they, that, that that I don't know whether that ever happened or not in the business. But the way they do it now is with a blade. I think you're a liar on that too. I've never used what you call a blade or anything else, and I can make you bleed in less than two seconds. I'll hit you so hard. <laughs> Thomas, I'm wondering about the audience here, right? Clearly, they must all know that that. that Wilson is is being at least more truthful than than Schultz, and yet somehow Wilson is the bad guy. Well, these people didn't take a wrong turn at the Guggenheim and end up here, John. No, I know that. Uh, <laughs> so, so, you know, the first thing is, even those who do believe Jim Wilson, they're bloodthirsty. That's why they're there. So they yes. want to see Davis walk up and punch him in the face. I, I will say, and Wilson is being truthful here. Do you really believe at the same time he would go clear halfway across the world to wrestle in Australia and then refuse to do a blade job? 
I mean, what he's saying is ridiculous. I mean, the blade was part of pro wrestling. It's not like, oh, I'm mad at you, so go bleed during a match. It's, you know, th- that clearly isn't true. I mean, I, I actually wonder, I've always wondered wh- how valid Jim Wilson's story is. I mean, we, we talked a little bit about this, or I, I did, like Jim Wilson in his book talks about how he was a freshman at the University of Georgia and challenged the entire football team to a fight and everyone backed down. And I was like, if you've ever been in a locker room, you know that story is not true. No freshman is going to survive that, right? So well, I just want yeah. go ahead. Well, no, I mean, even even if it's one of those things where he, but let, let's just say, let's just say that Jim Wilson's telling the truth on that point alone. The details are probably, he probably said it right as Vince Dooley walked into the locker room. And if that would have been true, the moment Vince Dooley walked out of the locker room, he got the ever-loving shit kicked out of him. So, yeah, but long story short, he's making it up. I, I believe at one point in time in his book, was he promised the NWA heavyweight championship if he provided some kind of favors or like, or was that independent of that? But I believe there was some point in time he said he was promised the NWA world championship. He was now. This is what I'm wondering about. He claims he was promised the NWA World Championship if he did sexual favors for whoever. Now, clearly, he's not getting the NWA t- title, right? So I'm just envisioning like, was oh, he actually that told that? Like, I'm I'm wondering, did someone tell him that? And you know, when the other guy's putting his pants back on, he's like, "Ah, oh, Jim, you fell for that one. <laughs> Jim, you should you see know. your face right now." You know, here's the thing. If, if he, if that happened to him, then he's the only one because you have to think if people were duped that way, the wrestling business creates a lot of bitter animosity after the fact. So if they're trying with Jim Wilson, they're trying it, you know, in every territory with every, you know, bottom of the card up and coming guy, someone would have, you know, set, you know, blew a whistle saying this is going on or, you know, shouted from the rooftops. Why is it only Jim Wilson? You know what? That, that's why I half believe Jim Wilson, because Thomas, it really did go on. And the first person who really, no, not the first person. The first person was Wilson. But when Barry, uh, Barry Orton came out and said that, you know, he got sexually harassed by Terry Garvin. And you, you know, when I listened to his story, I, I totally believe it. And just over the years, I've heard other stories like that. I don't, if it happened to Jim Wilson, it definitely didn't just happen to Jim Wilson. I mean, the wrestling business back in the day was, was almost a little bit like Hollywood. I mean, you know, there, there was a casting couch and there were gay promoters. Barry Orton's story is a lot different though, because Barry claimed it happened while he was new in the business, you know, you know, just starting out 19, 20 years old. And it's while Terry Garvin was still an active wrestler. It wasn't Terry Garvin in an office position with WWF in the mid eighties doing this to Barry Orton. This happened, you know, sometime probably in the mid 1970s, which is a lot, you know, miles different really from what Jim Wilson is claiming. Yeah. I think, uh, I think Orton said it happened in 1978 or 1979. Yeah. But yeah, I, mean, I, I don't know where Terry Garvin was at that point. I think were they, were they both in uh stampede at that time or no? Amarillo. Okay. So, yeah, that's, you know, like I said, I've heard stories over the years, uh, you know, about different guys being, you know, asked to do whatever. And that's why I half believe Jim Wilson was, was at least propositioned. 
You know, like, okay, Jim, do this for me and we'll give you the NWA title. And then at the end of the day, you know, ha ha, don't, don't fall for that one again. I mean, to that point, I could see that being some sort of ribbing initiation, maybe to the, to the new guy in the territory, but just, you know, down the line doing, I mean, I lean towards no, but I wouldn't, you know, bet money either way on it. No, hey, hey, that's the way I feel. It could be true. It could be totally false. All right, let's hear some more from the Morton Downey Jr. show for review purposes only. Dave, let me ask you a question. Doctor, you wrestled. Did you ever have the uncontrollable urge to carve yourself up or to cut yourself or to rip your mouth no. open, do anything? No. No, any I never had ever to ask do, you that. do that. I never had to do no that. No promoter ever asked you no, to do that. No, no promoter ever asked me then to do that. Then why is Jim Wilson okay. the only guy okay. that this Okay, he's the only guy. No, there's another one, too, a little goop by the name of... Yeah. In my opinion, you and him probably made love together and come on the show and try to destroy the business because you're not a man. You never will be a man. You never will be a man. Your whole life is ruined, boy. You ought to go out here somewhere on the, on the West Coast. I won't mention the city, but you can go out there and hold hands with whoever you want to. But you climb in the ring, a professional wrestling ring, they'll tie your head up and stick it up your behind and send you on your way. Uh, let, me, let, me, let me see. Sir, your name? My name's Dennis Carluzzo, and I'm a promoter. All right. And I want to say one thing. For years, wrestling has had that stigma about it with this guy's crying, but it's going to stop these people from going? No. So what are you trying to prove? Here, another thing, let me explain something about this guy's background. You want to expose the business a little bit? Let's talk a term about you. You were nothing but a bottom of the card jobber. You had excuses for not making it in the NFL. You had excuses for not making it in pro wrestling. And you're going to have more excuses when this falls on your face. What are you trying to prove? You're coming out here going on surfing, yeah. huh? Yeah. Well, wait a second. Wait a second. I remember watching this with my friends. We had a. a, a I taped it and we, and we watched it like a couple of days later and I was all proud of myself. I know that guy. That's Dennis. We hang out. Well, that's what I was saying. Like when you wonder like how these guys were all round, rounded up, because you have to imagine the Morton Downey Jr. Producers don't know who Dennis Carluzzo is or David Schultz is. I, I'm sure that somebody might've known Carluzzo through WOR somehow. And he rounded up all the wrestlers, this thing. And in exchange, he got he got a little bit of screen time, maybe. But the, the thing, the takeaway from this portion of the of the broadcast was, I was trying to read the lips of David Schultz when he said, you know, about the blade job thing where they bleep him out. I'm imagining it's Eddie Mansfield, but I swear to you, I tried to read his lips in the video, and I feel like it's, he's saying Abdullah the Butcher. He, I, I could not make it out, but you might be right because. I thought he was saying Eddie Mansfield, and I do the same thing you did. He had, he said three names, and I have no idea what the names were, but it might be Abdullah the Butcher. I don't know. But, but that's the thing with that. I mean, Abdullah was you know protective of the business, obviously. So I don't know why Schultz would bury him, and maybe that's why they bleeped it out. I don't know. I I have no idea, but I, I honestly have no idea who that that name was. Jim Wilson, he's he is he is in a bad position. But he is still performing poorly. I could, you know, anyone could go out there and tell you, look, you know, the fans like to see blood wrestling matches, so we cut our heads open and we give them blood every now and then. It's that simple. But he can't even get that out. I think it's it's the it's one thing too that like when you're on a show like this one, which which really has a mob mentality, 
Yes. You have to, you, you have to match intensity with the person you're talking to. And, and, and David Schultz has it in space. So when David Schultz is sitting there screaming, pounding on the podium, pointing his finger at Jim Wilson, and Jim Wilson's giving three-word answers in a monotone voice, who's going to look more credible? Uh, and you're right. This is definitely this show uh, is bloodthirsty and it has a bit of a mob mentality, to say the least. Let's go back and hear some more. Morton Downey Jr. from 1988. I'm well entitled to say what he's trying to prove. Go ahead. Well, everybody has an opinion, obviously, and uh, these gentlemen have theirs. Uh, this is America. Well, I know all that. Yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> that, that's fine. Well, that's fine. That's fine. If I could arrange a match between you two guys, would that be all right? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Hey. You'll put up the money? Anytime, anytime. No, right now. Right yeah, now. right now. Right now is fine. Let me, let me, I want to go, I want to go to Paul Dangerously on the telephone. All right, we'll get to Paulie in a minute. By the way, the, the audio that we got from YouTube, it's all we have. It jumps around a little bit. Uh, so be prepared for that. I think that's coming. I apologize for that. Uh, Thomas, your thoughts on that last segment? Well, I'm, I'm looking forward to Paulie, I guess, coming on. on the, I actually had forgotten about Paulie. I knew one other manager was coming on later on in the show in Thunderbolt as well. But I totally forgot that, uh, that Paul Hain was going to be on this. And, well, with Dennis Corluza being on there, this makes perfect sense. So. <laughs> <laughs> Dennis and Paulie just never got along. Like Paulie, at this point in his career, is managing. Uh, no, he was done with the AWA. Uh, no, I think he. No, I think he was still. He was still in Continental. That's right. So he was managing in Alabama. He had some uh, exposure for you know on the late AWA uh, ESPN show, but that's pretty much it. He had not. Uh, gone to WCW yet? That was coming in a few months, but you know, Paul was still a relative unknown. But let's get him on. Let's hear from Paulie Dangerously. I want to go. I want to go to Paul Dangerously on the telephone. Paul, can you hear me, buddy? Yes, I can, Mort. Paul, let me ask you a question. You've been listening to this uh, stuff. Yes, I have. All right. You listened to Jim Wilson's life story. What do you make of his statement that he was basically blackballed from wrestling? Uh. <laughs> Jim Wilson was blackballed from wrestling, and that is the truth, and I'll tell you why right now. Because he was such a loser, he never drew a dime in his life, and nobody ever wanted to pay the sale. The fact is, Morton, that the wrestling business is exactly like television. If you don't produce ratings, I don't care how good looking you are, I don't care how many cigarettes you smoke, I don't care what producers you sleep with, you're off the air. Walk easy, Paul. With everybody. Uh-uh. He never drew a dime, and they said, get out of the business. You're a loser. How much money did you make in wrestling? How much money did you make in wrestling, Jim? I didn't make a lot of money. The, uh, you said you've had a couple thousand matches. Yeah. The, the, the best uh, trip that I had was to Australia for $800 a week back in 1973. Ooh. 800 bucks a week in Australia? Right. And they cut that, like I say, when I wouldn't go to bed uh, with the promoter. They, uh, wanted... How I have never, Jim. Look at baby. I gotta tell you, pal. You are not that sexually attractive, even. <laughs> That's why. Why is someone I want to go to bed with? Hey, like I say, uh, I don't know what turns those people on. You know, uh, the, those people of that persuasion. Uh, I tell you what. Next, we're gonna meet the world's strangest man. I think. I, I, I think I'll let this man say any damn thing he.
World's Strangest Man. Okay, I haven't heard that about Ted Arcidi, but uh, a lot going on here. Jim Wilson will not stop. I mean, people are laughing at him when they tell him that, you know, when he keeps saying that, you know, this guy tried to sleep with me. I mean, Morton Downey Jr. is correct. He's definitely not an attractive man. And at this point, you know, he's already been laughed at, and he keeps going back to that well, Thomas. Well, I mean, at this point in time, you're on the you're on the panel. You've you've kind of you know shown your ass, so to speak. You, you can't do an about face. You can't leave the set. So you may as well just double down and just keep going with what you're going, and maybe try to climb your way out of it. That's all you can do at this point for Jim Wilson. I mean, if I'm Jim Wilson, I'm, I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm banging the horn. I'm like, look, you know, what I'm telling you is true. The, the pro wrestling matches are all arranged in advance. I've wrestled thousands of matches that none of them were, were actual contests. You know, just, just go with that instead of the thing that they're laughing at you for. If I were Jim Wilson at this point in time, I would probably scream the F word for the next 43 minutes. They couldn't air the show. I mean, we're just getting started, and this guy is is up to his eyeballs. And like I said, we're we're not going to listen to the whole thing because if you think this show is trashy now, wait until the, the end of it, where it's just five guys screaming at each other. But I'll tell you what, let's go back and oh, Paulie Dangerously once again. He was fantastic. I thought very funny guy. Um, I mean, just you know, doesn't even address the question. He says, "Oh, Jim Wilson's a loser. That's why he got blackballed." But I'll tell you what. Let's hear more from the Morton Downey Jr. show for review purposes. Now let's let's find out let's find out about racism and all these other things that we hear about in professional wrestling. Let me introduce you to a gentleman uh, by the name of uh, Claude Thunderbolt Patterson, former pro wrestler. Thunderbolt, how you doing, pal? Very good, and you? I'm all right. You think you had a talent uh, to be the world champion, right? Yes, I do. Okay. What kept you from reaching the top of the wrestling game? Well, the promoters. Just that simple. Why? Well, I what mean, they do? Just promoters. I mean, uh, uh, as a black individual, you are limited. Just that simple. As a black individual, you're limited. In you wrestling. wrestled in the 60s and 70s. 60s, 70s, and 80s. Okay. In the 60s and 70s, I understand you made uh, from a quote in one of the magazines, you made fifty to a hundred thousand dollars a year. Well, they quoted me in making two two hundred twenty-five thousand a year. Two hundred twenty-five. Did you make that much? No. Yeah, how much did you really make? I made a hundred. Made a hundred thousand dollars. Let me see. If my memory supports me right, that would be the days of uh, Argentine Rocca, Buddy Rogers. Well, that's a little bit before. That was a little bit before my time. Well, that was a little bit before your yeah, time. Right. Seems to me anyone making a hundred thousand dollars in nineteen uh, sixties uh, wasn't really discriminated against. Well, I mean, it's a matter of opinion. You know what I mean? Like, well, everything's a matter of opinion. Yeah, well, you know, like my 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 whole thing is that uh, I drew money all over the country. I mean, people came to see you. Yes, I worked in a lot of the different places around the, around the country, yeah. and I drew money. And uh, I just wanted the same chance that the rest of them was getting. This did not make me happy. Okay, let me start by saying I was not a big fan of Thunderbolt Patterson. I thought, you know, he was a goof. We were going to use that word again. But, I mean, if I were Thunderbolt Patterson, my response to Morton Downey Jr. would have been, Morton, even if you make $100,000 a year in 1960s money, which is a lot of money, you can still be discriminated against, and you can still have to deal with racism. I did not appreciate Mr. Downey's response. 
But yeah, Thunderbolt, he had a lot of credibility coming in with this because he did draw money. He did draw money in the 1970s, and, and, and he kind of burned bridges in the 80s, so he didn't you know, have as much money. And obviously, at this point in time, his career was practically non-existent until Ole brought him back into WCW around 1990 for a cup of coffee. But yeah, you're right. They're, they're, racism you know, isn't have a dollar threshold to it. I, I'm sure Will Jim Dog experienced it, sure. I'm sure that you know, a lot of guys experienced it that, that made a ton of money and were at the upper echelon of the card. But but Thunderbolt had the credibility here. But I mean, why did he dress like a like a background arm wrestler from the movie Over the Top in this? Because Thunderbolt uses poor judgment. He's out there. If you haven't seen this, he is wearing a Justice for Janitors T-shirt. I cannot make that up. The guy is on national TV wearing a baseball cap and a T-shirt that says Justice for Janitors. Thunderbolt Patterson was a big star. Thunderbolt Patterson did draw money at one point. He was never even in the same area code as, you know, possibly being a world's heavyweight champion. Has nothing to do with him being black. It's just that he was, his character drew money, but it was limited. He certainly was limited, but I'll I'll give him benefit of the doubt. Was he good enough to chase the world champion? Yeah, I think he was. Was he good he enough was. in that? Was he good enough in that time frame? Let's just say 1972 to 1980 to, to be the world champion. When you factor in who was the world champion and who was in that inner circle of people discussed, absolutely not. And that's not an indication of you know him being discriminated against. That's business. And, and, and the best promoters, you know, they didn't see black, white, or anything. They saw green. And and I truly believe that if the NWA thought that Thunderbolt Patterson was going to take them to the next level, they would have put the belt on him. But he couldn't, so they didn't. I mean, I, I talk about this a lot. There are people who say things like, you know, I think Jake Roberts deserved a run with the WWF champion. Okay, was Jake Roberts ever the best choice to be WWF champion? As as talented as Jake was, no, he was never the best choice. Same thing with Thunderbolt Patterson. Are you really putting the title on Thunderbolt ahead of Jack Briscoe, ahead of Harley Race, ahead of Dory Funk Jr., ahead of Terry Funk? That's not even a consideration. Fans can't be happy. If you go back to the time when John Cena was beating everybody in the mid 2000s People were up in arms. They hated John Cena. So you go on before that time in the Attitude Era, and after Cena's run had died down, the world title played hot potato until Roman Reigns took over. People didn't like that. People were the long-term champion. People were so thrilled that Roman Reigns was a long-term champion that they that they you know were were beside themselves. So now Roman's starting to get not stale, but people are wanting the next guy to come up. Whether it's Cody Rhodes, whether it's Jay Uso, whether it's whomever. So the fact is, the fans just want to complain about things in certain aspects, but the fact yes. of the matter is, long-term champions worked in the 1970s, and the, the reason why is, there were so many territories, if Jack Briscoe was the champion, you booked Jack Briscoe as the champion in Houston in October for May of next year. So, if Jack loses the belt, and, and, and Terry Funk was, well, Terry Funk's going to be in Amarillo, and he's going to be in Florida. You're not getting the world champion. So there was a, a continuity purpose to keep the world champion for as long as they did. So it wasn't an era where everyone gets two weeks of the title and we'll see who gets over or not. That, that didn't happen then, and it couldn't happen then. 
I mean, you had a couple times like Dusty Rhodes and Hot Shot or Tommy Rich, but the, but those were mainly for their own individual territory. And the original title holder, Harley Race, would win it back immediately and keep the same booking. You just couldn't give nine guys the title in a two-year span, John, back then. No, and it was a different business because Jack Briscoe and Harley Race, you know, they would dip into the territory sometimes every two or three months. And, you know, that's how you kept the world champion uh, fresh. And it worked. I remember Steve Austin lost the title on a Sunday night pay-per-view and regained it on Monday night. This is in Nyah. This is almost exactly 25 years ago. And people had to fit over it. And it's like, no, you don't understand. It's First of all, it's not the territories anymore. And secondly, why have Kane defend the title the next night on Raw if there's zero chance of the title changing hands? I mean, to me, now and, and 25 years ago, you had to have that element of unpredictability that, you know, yes, just because the ch- title changed last night doesn't mean it can't change again tonight. I was at that King of the Ring where Kane won the title off Austin. Oh, that's time. right. It was, it was in first- Pittsburgh. It was a first blood match that had the, the ultimate, the, the, especially at the Undertaker Mankind match. It I was, was going to say, wow, match. you saw that live. Yeah, it was the, that main event was really the biggest lead balloon you can imagine. Um, and, and maybe my mind is playing tricks on me, but after that Undertaker Foley match, Mankind did a run in the main event too, right? Yeah. That's what I thought. I thought maybe I just created that in my brain, but I, like you keep watching these videos of and these like behind the scenes things of how concussed he was and how everyone thought he was dead. Blah, blah blah. I'm like, and then my revisionist mind comes. I'm like, well, there's no way they let him back out there after all that, right? But well, sure enough, he did. I am kicking myself right now for not putting two and two together. The event was in Pittsburgh, and you were you were in Pittsburgh or close to it. I absolutely should have had. I should have reviewed that show and had you on doing it. We we can't do it for the 25th anniversary, but we're we're going to do it eventually. But with that all said, let's hear more from the Morton Downey Jr. show from 1988. That's your opinion. Yeah, my opinion. I was in Georgia. You were the individual. I was the first match, buddy. The first match. You were the individual. That's right. When you came, you walked out. You, you didn't show up for the put match. Your boots on, you did man. not show up for the match. You walked out. You I walked, walked out because I was mistreated just good. like all the and rest of them. And just because you're black, you think somebody should kneel That's down? your problem. No, they ain't You went on. You was able to break. Sour break. Sour break. That's all I had. Sour break. Yeah, my opinion. You're the one. What you have here is, I was the individual, I was in, I was all over the country. I drew money. Yes, I walked out. Why did you draw money? I, wait a minute. No, you, I ain't waiting a minute. I, I no, you drew money because places. they give you the I walked out. They give you because a Because individual you just like you. World champion, you blew Individual just like you. Terry Funk beat you in Atlanta, Georgia, right in the middle of the And you walked out. take on the company side. Just because you're black, you think somebody owes you something. Nobody owes you nothing. Don't nobody nobody owe me nothing. All I need is a chance and I would have got it myself. Well, why didn't you do it? Because of an individual just like you. I was on the first match that night, baby. Atlanta, Georgia. 1978. And you walked out. You didn't show up. 
Why Jim Barnett was a boy. Oh, you want why? Because you want to hold him up for more Josh. money. Oh, you the liar didn't want to. No, you're the liar. He's a liar. You better wait until I know you. Just a second. Let me hear from him. Why? Why did you walk out? Why did you walk well, out? Can I say one thing before well, I say? Tell me why you walked I out. I walked out because my money wasn't right and they wasn't treating me Whoa, right. Now, you got it in your right, head. Huh? He just told you that it was his, his first match in the town. Now, how in the hell did he know so much about it? I kept going, baby. Because I kept he going. Was, I worked the first match and then I was up on top. You were the business. The guy paid his dues. He paid his dues. What'd you say? He paid his dues. That's well, right. Yeah. I climbed the ladder, baby. Well, he I climbed the ladder. Dues. He, just well, he was working for 50 bucks, 75 bucks every night. I worked for 15 dollars. Why didn't you stay cool? No more. I worked for five. I worked for nothing. But I went to the top. I'm your own baby. Thunderbolt comes across way better than Jim Wilson, but he still needed to be coached up. If someone's asking me, now they're talking about uh, uh, something that happened in Atlanta, I think it was February 1978, uh, or no, it couldn't have been because Fun Terry Funk wasn't champion, but at some point Terry Funk was the NWA champion. They had a match scheduled uh, against Thunderbolt Patterson in Atlanta, and Thunderbolt Patterson no-showed. As a matter of fact, no, he didn't no-show. He walked out. And if I'm Thunderbolt and I have, have these people ask me, well, why'd you walk out? Why'd you walk out? I would have made it simple. I would have said, hey, I was promised a certain amount of money. I wasn't going to get it, so I left. And I would have looked at the crowd and said, what would you guys have done? Oh, that's exactly right. And, and I like how David Schultz, he, he plays to the crowd because anybody that's anything about wrestling, I mean, and John, I hope you're sitting down. Lou, I hope you're sitting down. Folks at home, I hope you're either in your car driving to work, maybe pull off to the side of the road. But, yes, there's been times in the history of professional wrestling where a person was booked and they did not show up to the arena. It has, Thunderbolt Patterson was the first and only person in 1978 to be on a card and not be there. What blasphemy, I know, folks, I know that's why you got black balls in the business. Didn't come to an event in Atlanta, Georgia. I mean, that, that's ridiculous. Come on now. How many? How many? I guarantee David Schultz in, in his in his WWF days where they were hitting you know two two stops a night on the weekends. Since again, there were days that he didn't show up either. I'm sure of it. You're probably right. I I can't say for sure, but I'm I'm sure it's at some point Schultz had to have missed a show, and that's just the nature of the business. Thunderbolt Patterson. I, was he blackballed? I, I can't say yes or no, but I know he had a reputation as being a, a little bit of a rabble rouser in the locker room. And one big reason why he was out of the wrestling business by the certainly by uh, I know he was doing uh, Outlaws in Georgia in 1981. But, you know, I, I saw tapes of this, and it's like, he's an old guy. Father Time remains undefeated. He's, you know, everyone, he drew money in the 70s, but he was not going to be drawing money in the 80s. Well, it's the, it's the fact, too, that when you look at it, like, 1988 comes by, like, even if he was a, you know, a talented wrestler getting over, you know, everything else, you have to ignore the fact, or not ignore the fact that the reason why he wasn't in the AWA, in Florida World, is because he was perceived as a shitster, and yes. that's not racially motivated or discriminatory. That's just how he was, and you don't want to poison the well, basically, so to speak, in the locker room. And, and I, think, I think any promoter would agree with that you don't want that well poisoned and having, you know, 
Thunderbolt talking to one guy, and that guy talks to another guy, and that guy's riding in the car with two more guys. Next thing you know, you have a, you know, a full-on mutiny on your hands. So it's easy. If, if, if you cut out the, the, the main protagonist of all this in Thunderbolt, then, then, then problems tend to go away. Yeah, it's, it's one of those things where both things can be true. That, you know, Thunderbolt probably had to put up with a lot of shit as many African Americans did in the United States in the 60s and 70s. And at the same time, you know, he could be a pain in the ass and you just say, okay, he's not drawing anymore. It's a lot easier to just use someone else. With that, let's hear more from the Morton Downey Jr. show for review purposes, of course. Let me introduce you. Let me introduce you to the world's strongest man. All right. World champion, baby. And as the critics will say tomorrow, when they saw him carrying in a 180-pound load of. Okay. I'm sure we'll beep that out for you, folks. Ted, let me ask you a question. You've competed at the highest levels, all right, of bodybuilding and uh, and now wrestling. Have you Politics, encountered yeah. a prejudice against performers because of the color of their skin? And have you been alert to see if that prejudice is out there? Because there is prejudice. Okay, I'm college educated. All right, let me just drop a few names. Prejudice? No, it's a cop-out, okay? Anybody heard of Tony Atlas? Yeah. All right. Anybody, anybody ever heard of S.D. Jones? Yeah. Anybody ever heard of Rocky Johnson? Yeah. I think this guy should have paid attention more in school. You would have been in a better business. Look, Harry, look, Harry, let me explain something to you, muscles. Oh, okay, just because you got muscle, oh, you went over into muscles. the professional, and I mean, that ain't the whole thing. Okay, you got to know how to wrestle a little bit, thing. and you got to know how to draw a little money. You called Tony that's Adams, right, that's you called uh, S.T. Jones, right. you called individuals just like we have in the country today that go along with any damn thing that go on. Yeah, but they have the WWF titles. They have the WWF World titles. They go along. They go along with anything that was a WWF World Heavyweight Tag Team Champions, both of them, buddy. You didn't make it, did you? Chips just like you. They start working out fifty bucks a night. I gave away. I gave away more than. Listen, listen to this. Listen to what I'm gonna say. I gave away. I gave away more belts than both of you fellas probably ever had. You are a You are a liar. You are a liar. You You gave away 18. You ain't never gave nothing away. You'll never give nothing away. First place, you ain't never had nothing to give away. On the count of individuals just like you. Every, every, every system. Uh, you know, this, this this is deteriorating quickly, and this is why I almost backed out of the show, because you can't get what anyone anyone is saying. But it's funny, Thunderbolt Patterson, you know, he was a big success, success in the business. And then we have Ted Arcidi, who started wrestling in 1986. And I think by this point, in 1988, he was out of the business trying to lecture Thunderbolt about something. Well, I'm glad that Morton Downey Jr. and or his producers were able to find the chairperson of the 1986 WWF Diversity Committee in Ted R.C. <laughs> yeah, really? <laughs> to ask if, if racism is prevalent in wrestling. I mean, I mean, read the room, Morton, on that one. Come on. And, and, and then the other thing was when Thunderbolt looked at, you know, Ted and said, you didn't draw money, Ted R.C. couldn't draw money on a piece of paper. But let, let's be real here. The only interesting thing that in my entire life 
that Ted Arcidi has ever done in my eyes, and he really didn't do it. There was a post on the old uh, webpage, WrestlingClassic.com, where somebody had dinner with Ted Arcidi, and I was just astonished at how much he ate that day. That, 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 that's the threshold of what Ted Arcidi has done in the world of wrestling for me. You know, I mean, Ted Arcidi, I mean, he's supposed to be a really nice guy. He's from, he has a gym up in Manchester, or at least he, he used to. I mean, but he was, he was easily one of the worst professional wrestlers of all time. I mean, he moved as if his feet were, were, were stuck in buckets of cement. And obviously he didn't make it in wrestling, but, you know, once it, like you said, the, the chairman of the diversity board, Ted Arcidi, uh, but all right, I'll tell you what, let's hear a little bit more audio from the Morton Downey Jr. show from 1988. I was in a preliminary match in Greenville, South Carolina when this man was on top and he wouldn't even talk to me in the captain. He was a hot, hot shot main event guy. Me and the captain got six bits. If you don't understand six bits, that's $75. And that's what we got. And Thunderbolt Patterson was the main event guy. Come in ten minutes before showtime. Exactly. And he looked at the preliminary boys. And he said, uh, are they working here tonight? I said, yes, sir. How are you? I shook his hand. I didn't care if he was black, green, yellow, orange, or whatever color he might be. But I had a tough time. And I was happy. I was happy when you shook hands with me. I was glad. And your damn color didn't mean a damn thing. You are you are a a very the shit hands again. And me and the shit hands again. Because there's a whole lot of individuals. And this guy that pretend when she'll tell you the same story. That pretend that the they are not prejudiced. I spent twenty years. I spent twenty years in professional wrestling. Okay. I spent twenty-eight. Well, yeah, you spent eight more than I did. Yeah, you spent right. You started. And it was a preliminary boy, and it, you came in. Well, it's a whole lot of folks that I didn't talk to. You have. That was Tony Altimore practically giving himself a medal for shaking a black man's hand, Thomas. I didn't know who that was when I first, uh, I still didn't know until you just said that. I thought I was referring to him as Panama Jack the entire time. But <laughs> I, 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 Thunderbolt, I wish, could have had a little bit of hindsight here when Ted Arcidi goes, you ever heard of S.D. Jones? I'd be like, yeah, you mean the guy that loses every week? Yeah, yeah, they, 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 they took care of him. If I'm Thunderbolt, like, the first thing I'm doing is Tony Altimore, Ted Arcidi, and David Schultz are jumping down his throat. I'm walking over, and I'm smacking Jim Wilson in the mouth for just sitting there, like, not even saying a word. He's being, he's, he's, he's set decoration at this point in time in the show. <laughs> I mean, you're right. Uh, Jim Wilson probably should have stuck up for, for Thunderbolt. I mean, the, the two are friends going way back, but I, I think, I think Jim Wilson, I'm, Jim Wilson was in way over his head here, Thomas. He just, he just didn't have the speaking skills, you know, to, to say what he needed to say. And he was clearly intimidated by this point. A long time ago, he was intimidated. Oh, he was scared to death of David Schultz sitting beside him. There, there, there's no, and that's why he didn't say a single word. Uh, well, even though I don't think he'd be prompted anyway, but I think he was legitimately worried, and he, and he might have been worried, if you go back to the John Stossel thing with David Schultz, that if he said something right there next to him, Schultz might have cracked him one. 
Oh, I mean, Schultz at the end was clearly trying to start a fight with the guy. I mean, he threw water in his face. <laughs> oh, uh, my. I, and the thing about it is, Al, it only gets worse from here. Yeah, it is already out of control. You've got Ted Arcidi, like, you know, yelling at the crowd, like, you know, pumping his fist. And they're all screaming. So it's basically Thunderbolt and Jim Wilson are being fed to the Lions here. So I'll tell you what, let's get more audio of the Morton Downey Jr. show for review purposes. On home base, all right? Yeah. Connected with wrestling like nobody else has ever been. Wrestling's ambassador. He served as a pro wrestler, a promoter manager, a movie star. I mean, you go on it. He's got it all. Lou Albano, the captain. Lou, you've been listening to everything that's been going on in the show. Mr. Wilson here has, uh, was just applauding you. It means even he has respect for you, Well, I'm not for you, his right? applause I've never been looking for. I want to say something more. Now, let, me ask you, let me ask you something, ahead. all right? You're you identify board. with professional wrestling as much as anybody in America right. has it's been. Does the discussion we've been having tonight bear any resemblance to the wrestling that you've known? Let me tell you something, more. The discussion that's going on here tonight is utterly ridiculous. I've been involved in wrestling since 1953. And I'll admit that today there's a little bit getting away from the wrestling, a little bit of showmanship and so forth. But to me, they're still the world's greatest athletes. When a guy comes out here like this, like this halfwit, and a guy like that moaning about black, I started in with Bobo Brazil, with Bad Cat Wright, with Black Boy Sweet Daddy Seeky. And they made something. And let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. You. Yeah, go ahead. But look here. You started in with every one of them individuals. You stayed. You stayed around. Each one of them individuals had to pack their suitcase and leave. But you no, stayed there and made the money. That's hey, not man, true. You just Bad Cat Wright wrestled. Bad Cat Wright wrestled. He died. That cat right died and passed away. He died because Bobo he couldn't get a job. Bobo was, was, Brazil was used by couldn't the Couldn't get a job, couldn't get booked no way. Matter of fact, couldn't get Just a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Bobo was, wait a minute. Lord, hold it. Lord, hold it. Lord, let me answer the question. I want to hear All right, I'm on the board. Just a minute. Bobo Brazil wrestled right here in the Meadowlands in the old timers day a few years ago. Wrestling was good to Bobo. He was one of the favorite guys of Willie Gildenberg and Vince McMahon. And as far as this halfwit talking about blades, my wife was sitting out there that I've been married to for 34 years. If I were to use a, uh, an object to cut my face, she'd divorce me tomorrow. Let me tell you this. Sure. Anytime I wrestle... sure as hell wouldn't want that pretty face. Well, you ain't kidding. No. Now, anytime... All right. Anytime I... Thomas, things are already getting out of control. Let's bring in Captain Lou Albano. <laughs> and the funny thing about it is Lou Albano starts off fine. by He, he, he mentions the three biggest African-American wrestlers of that era. Bearcat Wright, Sweet Daddy Seeky, and Bobo Brazil. Uh, granted, he ignores the fact that when they were making the rounds, they probably had to stay at a motel you know, 30 miles down the road. But, you know, why, why ruin a good rant? I did lose a bet on this, though, John. I, I, I will admit, I had the under of 35 seconds before Lou Albano accused one of the two, Thunderbolt or Jim Wilson, for having the brain of a dehydrated BB. I had 35 <laughs> seconds under. He did not do it. I lost. So keep that in mind. Well, I mean, Dave Meltzer, about 20 years ago on his Yada show, was talking about 
how the producers of some show wanted him to come on and he would not go on because Lou Albano was going to be on and he knew it was going to turn into a circus. And they're telling him, no, no, the producers will keep him under control. And David's like, I'll pass and you guys just watch what your show turns into. And I didn't see the show, but I heard that it turned into another kind of a Morton Downey Jr. show, what we're having now. So again, this is right around this time. I watched this for the first time in at least 10 years a couple of nights ago and i was like you know what i don't know if i want to do a show about this but i think we've gotten some good material out of it so far and let's let's continue to listen to morton downey jr don't read the whole damn thing to me what no, is it? no what, what i was getting to more was the money in the business and the proportionate amount of money that trickles down to the performers is nowhere commensurate to what all of us have been put handout? into a handout. Is that what you want? A handout? Nobody wants a handout. You want a handout? You want a handout? You want a handout? You want a handout? and hotel. David, David, we'll admit we want promoters. We admit the promoters. We don't want to call you more angels, Mort. We'd like the boys to have hospitalization. We'd like to benefit things and all. But there's money out there to be made. If a guy's a good athlete, if he can do it right, he can draw money. There were wrestlers like again. I mentioned the name of Bruno San Martino. They got right out there and now. They didn't like him. Why? Because he was Italian. He drew money. Yet I was Italian. I didn't draw no money as a as a wrestler, as a manager. I did my share. Right, so there's let me no ask you a question. Let me ask I should point out that at this point, they have Dr. D, David Schultz sitting right next to Jim Wilson. They're, they're, they're right next to each other like they're on an airplane, and Jim Wilson is not comfortable. But Jim Wilson made a good point, or, or, or he tried to make a good point, that you know the promoters kept a disproportionate amount of money back in the day. Now, you can argue that it was the promoters who were kind of putting the money up and risking their money. But back in the day, you know, you just got paid with whatever the promoter decided to pay you on that given night. And, you know, I mean, Wilson, at least he tried to make a good point, And, of course, he got shouted down. Well, I, I, I sort of disagree with that. I think David Schultz kind of said it the best way, you know, in his terms saying, do you want a handout? Because I guess in this era, too, of wrestling, there weren't these multi-year contracts where you were locked in, just like Thunderbolt. If you don't like the money you're making, get in your car and go down the road and go to another territory and, and know your worth. You, you don't need to have a promoter tell you how much you're worth. You know, you know your own worth in that. And then Albanis did the same thing. You know, Bruno San Martino, you know, made a lot of money. I didn't make money as a wrestler. I, I didn't draw any money, so I didn't get any. I didn't get paid. History shows that Jim Wilson certainly didn't draw any money, so it falls into the same category. Yeah, well, one point, too, that the, they've made, I mean, they're they're naming black wrestlers. Like, okay, you guys have heard of Rocky Johnson, Tony Atlas, S.D. Jones. Like, okay, what percentage of black wrestlers were there in the 60s and 70s? It was a very small percentage. About like into the 80s and 90s as well. And, then, you know, I don't know for a fact, but it almost seems like in most every territory there was a unwritten rule. There was a quota. I mean, you didn't want to have, you know, Four or five, you might have a tag team, and that would be it. Maybe a tag team and a and an opening match guy, but you didn't have two or three top guys in that in that form. So there certainly was a discriminatory quote, unwritten quota in, the, in that regard. 
Yeah, and they had an unwritten rule where they didn't want two black baby faces in the same territory because back then being black was a gimmick. And I, I hate saying that, but it's the truth. It's the way the wrestling business operated. And you would not have Bobo Brazil and Rocky Johnson in the same territory at the same time because they wound up, they would wind up working against each other. It was a, a sad situation. But speaking of sad situations, let's hear more from the Morton Down. Junior Show, 1988. All right. Let, me, let me ask you a question. Go ahead. Let's ask, let's ask the question, all right, that every American who's seen wrestling matches asks. Go ahead. Do you guys know who's going to win before the match starts? Well, I can tell you right now, I made the statement before. Every time I got beat, I got beat by a better man. I don't know what goes on throughout the entire world of wrestling, I can't say, but what I will say, they're overmatched. You never see a Hulk Hogan up against a Ric Flair. You never see a Bruno San Martino against a Hulk Hogan. They know now probably David Schultz can whip my tail. So if I go in with David Schultz, he'll just beat me when he can. I don't know of any prearranged. No one ever are came to me. Sure? And said are they the, sure that Dr. D could whip Jim Yes, I'm Wilson. sure. I'm sure. Well, I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure. Huh? I'm sure if I were I don't think promoter, Jim Wilson's if I were promoter, sure. I wouldn't have to tell Jim Wilson to lose. Because when Dr. D was ready to beat him, he whipped him with an inch of his life. That's right. And I can do it now. I'm sure. I'll do it right here in front of everybody. Let me go to a lady. You know, Thomas, I used to be on the radio once a year, right before WrestleMania, starting in 88, wrapping it up in 92. And I would always, I would try to not be asked this question. I would go on, I'd say, look, if you guys need, if anyone wants to call in and you want to ask me if pro wrestling is on the up and up, do you really need to ask me that? Do I really need to be the one to enlighten you on that. And sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't. I got asked it anyway. And, you know, that that's the answer to the question, in my opinion. At least Albano, he dodged the question, but he didn't lie. I was wondering why Jim Wilson had that piece of paper he was holding up. I, like, he had a prepared statement. But the more I watch this show, I'm sure it's his direction to the subway at this point in time. <laughs> uh, uh, but I, the one thing, about, if you recall back in the late 90s, series of books like the idiot's guide on how to use the internet the idiot's guide to refurnishing your house the idiot's guide to purchasing wine well when the attitude era came wrestling blew up and uh burt sugar who's a one of maybe one of if not the greatest boxing uh writers of all time him and lou albano co-wrote a book the idiot's guide to pro wrestling and it was 100 percent kayfabe Imagine how Lou Albano is talking today and just dumb it down times infinity. Oh, my good. I in a way I need to take a look at that. And then indefinitely in more than a way I need not to. But you're right. I remember they had a, an idiot's guide to pretty much everything in the late 90s. And I, I you know, one thing I, I'm still not getting in a way every single person who is who has spoken on this show, you know, claiming that pro wrestling was legitimate, you know, arguing against Wilson and Patterson are long out of the business. Our CD being the one exception, he was still wrestling in 1987. Like to me, if I'm Schultz or Albano, unless I'm getting a lot of money to be on this show, I'm just like, you know, I have my my thing would be, you know, I'm not going to expose the business but I'm going to be quiet in doing it. And instead, these guys are screaming, and they have, they have nothing to gain. Well, I think that Schultz and Albano, they always kind of had one foot in, one foot out the door once they were kind of let go. 
They always kind of kept that carny persona up. I don't know if that's because they wanted to get back in the business or they respected the business or, or, or a litany of other things, uh, perhaps, but so, and sometimes too, like once you, once you get in front of that camera, it just goes back to your, your, you know, in right next to Vince McMahon again, or right next to Pat Patterson again, and just cut the promo. You just go into autopilot. Maybe, I don't know. Yeah, I guess it, it was so ingrained in these guys to protect the business that they, they didn't even they didn't even stop to think about what they were doing. Like, why am I doing this? Like, they didn't have that that moment where they said, "Okay, why am I doing this?" I remember I've mentioned this on the show before. I was listening to Howard Stern. I want to say in '97 or '98, and The Rock was on, and her, and Stern asked him, "You know, okay, what's the story with wrestling? Is is this real?" And the Rock's like, no, Howard, we're we're in the entertainment business. And I was like, thank God, we finally have gotten to this point in pro wrestling. Of course, it took another ten years. This is another thing I wanted to touch upon, Thomas. This show would have been borderline insane in 1978. Now it's 1988, and Jim Wilson, I think, is about to talk about it. You know, Vince McMahon has gotten up in front of the New Jersey state legislature, I think it was, and has said that pro wrestling, everything was predetermined, everything was scripted. And, you know, this was earlier in in the year when he was trying to uh, evade taxes on, or not taxes, evade uh, commission costs for WrestleMania 4. So McMahon has already let the cat out of the bag, and but these guys are desperately clinging on. But wasn't there another avenue to that besides WrestleMania 4? Wasn't there... The fact that if you were in a state with an athletic commission, the talent had to be both drug tested and given a physical prior to that. And the fact of the matter is, if there is an athletic commission coming in, no one's passing the steroid test, let alone, let alone recreational drugs. And how can Andre the Giant come out to the ring for a phys- after a physical? So you'd have like two bottom the car guys after all was said and done with all this. So I I always thought originally, maybe I, I assume you're right. You know more than I do about this industry, but I always thought that this was a way to just circumvent drug tests. Um, I mean, it depended on the state. I mean, some states didn't have state athletic commissions. You could just do whatever you wanted. Massachusetts was like that back in the day. Whereas New York and New Jersey were very strict. I mean, they would make guys take uh, EKGs before their matches, and one time Crusher Blackwell couldn't work the Meadowlands because he couldn't fix, uh, pass the EKG. I don't think at this point either New York or New Jersey was doing – I think the only uh, commission that tested for steroids was, was Oregon, and I think New York and New Jersey would occasionally do like a random drug test. I'm not positive about this 1988, but I'm glad you brought up the commissions. I, I didn't have it on the YouTube thing, but, um, Dennis Carluzzo was on the show later and he's like, you know, I, I, I promote New Jersey. We have the greatest state athletic commission in the world in New Jersey. At the time, I almost died laughing. Think of, Thomas, think about the things you hate most in life, okay? The thing that you hate most in life, whether it be, I don't know, peanut butter or slavery, whatever you got, multiply it by a hundred, and that's how much Dennis hated the New Jersey State Athletic Commission. He would, he would literally, and he, he would, he discussed this with me, he would ideate about killing these people, like, you know, setting hitmen to their houses to kill them. That's how much he hated these dudes. My, my brain is still spinning about the peanut butter and slavery comparison, although I guess it's better than 
maple syrup and apartheid. But anyway, <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, I mean, the New Jersey, like, especially for the, the, the type of wrestling that Corluzo ran, because he had nothing to do with Tri-States, right? With, 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 that had the Eddie Gilbert Cactus Jack feuds, right? In the, oh, in they, they, that was another guy. That was Joel Goodhart, another Joel Goodhart, guy yeah. who, who he openly ideated about having assassinated. But go ahead. <laughs> right. But, but the fact of the matter is, you know, he kind of was, you know, off to the left of ECW and Tri-States. So he, he's still in that same kind of boat with them. But yeah, he hates the commission. Of course he does. I, I mean, I'll, I'll tell you a brief story about Dennis and Joel. We're, we're sitting there having dinner. There's like 50 people around, and Dennis and I are speaking with our hands over our mouths, right? Everyone's like, what are these two talking about? I'm like, Dennis, the FBI will figure out it's you. Forget about this idea. This literally came out of my mouth to Dennis because he's talking about having good heart being disposed of, as it were. But anyway, let's hear more audio from the Morton Downey Jr. show. I hope Thomas and I are a lot more entertaining than this. Wrestling is soap opera for stuntmen. Did the promoters tell you when to lose or win? More, let, let me just, Did they tell you when to lose or win? Let me quote Vince McMahon, okay? Both of these gentlemen, I believe, have worked for Vince McMahon. Is yes, that I right? have worked for Okay, great. All right, good. That's right. You right. wasn't good enough. Fine. Fine. Thank you. If they really, they wanted to ask you. Give it they, to me fast, baby. If they, the matches hour. were predetermined, I'm going to try to read you a quote All right. by All the right. Associated Press that Vince McMahon gave to the Associated Press. Okay? Supposedly. Supposedly, it's right here. You believe everything you see him reading? If they really did the things it looks like they're doing to each other, there would be a lot of dead wrestlers, McMahon told the Associated Press. Okay. Look, look, now yeah, answer yeah. my question. Did they ever ask you to win or lose a match? Yes, every Did night. <laughs> every night. Absolutely. Who? Who? Who asked you to do that? Which one you talking Which about? one you talking about? Junior? No, oh, that's a lie. You're a liar. Wait a minute, you're wait a minute. You're a liar. You're a liar. Which one are you talking about? Oh, the one that didn't die four years ago, Lou. <laughs> I was surprised whenever um, Jim Wilson made the mention of the uh, Vince McMahon quote saying there'd be a lot of dead wrestlers. I figured Albans would come back to the Ox Baker and Ray Gunkel. I really thought that was, you know, and, and it would have been checkmate right then. But Yeah, really? Even then, even then when this is all happening, okay? Jim Wilson's like saying, I want to read a quote. I want to read this quote. And, and Schultz is just getting in his ear, frazzling him. And, and all he has to do is read the quote and be confident about it. And it, and it kind of puts them in their place because all, all Al Banner is doing is screaming as fast as he can because if he says the most words, he wins the argument in his mind. But Wilson just hems and haws. And, and this is what the Morton Downey Jr. show did. 
they created a bullying mentality. And if you watch the video, as Albano's ranting after Wilson reads the speech, here comes Altimore and Ted Arcidi within five feet of the stage to, to confront uh, Jim Wilson about this. I mean, they couldn't have bullied Jim Wilson anymore if they put his head in the toilet. No, you're absolutely right. Jim Wilson had practically had his underwear pulled up to his head, and you're right about him hemming and hawing. I mean, Morton Downer, Downey Jr., you know, he said it. He came right out, Jim, we've only got an hour, <laughs> you know? I, I think when they looked at this show and they saw it, I mean, there's, there's Thunderbolt Patterson you know, at this point in time. I don't know if he's uh, working as a janitor at the WR studio because with the T-shirt on, maybe he's negotiating a contract. He, he's gone. He's back. I don't know where he is. But now it's a four-on-one attack. They created this scenario in this episode knowing full well these guys were going to eat Jim Wilson alive. And they did, to say the very least. And now they've got, you know, Wilson right between Albano and Schultz, and Schultz is giving him no room. So if you want to watch the, the video, I, I invite you all to. It's it's on YouTube. Just put in uh, Morton Downey Wrestling. It comes right up. Uh, and let's hear more from the Morton Downey Show. A second, you claim that the kingpins of wrestling like Vince McMahon uh, and TV tycoon Ted Turner, all right, uh, effectively blackball wrestlers who don't play by their rules. Not true. Did you? Did Not they true. throw you out of the ring? Did they what? Throw you out of the ring? In, in essence, they did. They kept us out of the ring. And what they did, Mort, in 1974, uh, and T-Bolt and I were together doing this, That's trying to elevate the position. Elevate the position of the performers, number one, which is the bottom line of, of everything Elevate we're talking about. How, Jim? Money. Money and benefits. A shared equity in the billion-dollar-a-year pie that is not being distributed equitably. You won't somebody give you something for nothing again. No, no. We you don't don't want to work How do you want to share it? By setting up a union? We oh, wait a minute. Wait, it wouldn't be a bad wait idea to have benefits for the boys and stuff like that. But you're not going to go about it the way you're talking about. There's money to be made out there. Maybe they can turn around and take $10 out of each boy's pay as he wrestles and have the promoter match that. Sit down at the bargaining table with the promoter. and maybe they idea, the Jim. No, the better How come idea, they threw him out? I can the, say that to the, a promoter. How come he can't? The better idea is because we are putting our bodies on the line. No, 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 whoa, 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 whoa. You no, ain't put wait. your body nowhere. I've been putting my you body on the line. Crying. You're crying, man. You ain't never done nothing to nobody. This guy's crying. Let me tell you. I went to the top in every league. AWA, NWA, WWF. I've been there. I made the money, and I was kicked out. But you don't hear me out here crying about it. I didn't need no benefits. Right. I had money. I could buy what I wanted because I was good. I produced, and I did it. And I ain't crying about it. You're the one crying about it. anyone out here. You're piece of Well, for those who obviously, you know, you're hearing the audio, uh, David Schultz has thrown just now thrown water in Jim Wilson's face and he's in his face, pointing his finger in his face, doing anything he can to escalate this into violence. And everyone is cheering him on. Welcome to 1988. Two things that struck me as ironic. One is if anybody would get blackballed for what was being talked about on this show today, it would have been Lou Albano for championing a union for the wrestlers. 
And number yeah, two, really. the, the one person that kind of more or less was blackballed in wrestling was David Schultz. He was fired from the WWF. I tend to believe that he smacked John Sossel under the pretense of encouragement from Vince McMahon. Once he was let go and fired, uh, even though it was the Mr. T stuff too, perhaps as well, but he could have made money for Jim Crockett. He certainly could have in the mid eighties. He could have made money for Vern Gagne in the mid eighties, but he was more or less kind of internally blackballed. And yet here's Jim Wilson. Do I think he was blackballed? No. Do I think Thunderbolt was blackballed? No. Was David Schultz blackballed? I think he was. So this whole episode just reeks of irony. I I don't think Dr. D was blackballed. I can tell you, I mean, he was in a position once he was fired from the WWF. I mean, if I'm if I'm Jim Crockett or Bill Watts, I'm at least interested in the guy. But I, I've told the story probably like three or four years ago. I'll tell it again. I went to an ICW show in Billerica, Mass, and Dr. D, David Schultz was on it. <clears throat> and Schultz kind of seemed to have really lost his mind for real. I mean, he was trying to pick fights with the fans, and by the end of the taping, I mean, people were afraid to even react to the guy, because that's how out of control he seemed, and I just, you know, and he he had a, uh, he went back to Memphis for a little while, and they got rid of him. I think, you know, he was just uh, really, uh, for real, a loose cannon, and that's why no one wanted to bring him in. And, that, and that's what I, I've seen interviews of David Schultz in the 90s, and he seems subdued, you know, well, subdued for David Schultz, I should say, not subdued yeah. as a whole. But, you know, I wonder if he was just playing the gimmick, to, you know, turning, you know, as they say, the best gimmick are you as a person just cranked up to 11. And, and I kind of wonder if, you know, maybe Schultz put it up to 13, maybe. And it was just, you know, his, his way of doing things. I, I, I don't know. You know, one other reason to join our Facebook group, as I was preparing for the show, I put up a picture of Dr. D's book, and I asked the question. I'm like, you know, I I don't have his book, but I I said, you know, has Dr. D, like, you know, come – has he, what's the word I'm looking for, come straight at all about pro wrestling being predetermined in his book? And someone said, yeah, he kind of did, but uh, not like, you know, flat out, you know, yeah, I was a liar. Just, you know, yeah, he kind of admitted to being sm- uh, smartened up to the business when he was being trained. But, you know, at this point, it's just weird. You know, these guys are are so focused on on promoting this, this lie that wrestling was real. And I guess, you know, what else are you going to do in 1988? But I think this is the final set. Segment. Let's hear more from the Morton Downey Jr. show. Man and these other guys, the promoters screwing around with these guys. Is this true? Let me tell you something. If there was, shut up! I ain't your brother. Don't, don't call me something. brother. I'm not a brother of yours. Indeed. Doctor, go ahead. Indeed, is what he says about McMahon and these other guys, the promoters screwing around with these guys. Is this true? Let me tell you something. If there was a union in professional wrestling where a guy had to get up and show some wrestling holds, guys like him would never get in wrestling in the first place. Guys like this guy right here wouldn't get in wrestling in the first place. Because I'm going to tell you why right now. Schultz was in Atlanta, 1975, 1976. I was in Charlotte. You were on top. I was training Tony Atlas. His first week in wrestling, he made $900. I made four. He got pushed. Because he was black, you got pushed because you were black, and I was a better wrestler than you, which is reverse discrimination, and I didn't get the job because you were black. 
my God, the poor, poor me, I'm white club featuring Larry Sharp and Dr. D. David Schultz. Larry, it's not about putting on holds that drew money and for him to compare himself to Tony Atlas as a draw is a bit of embarrassment, embarrassment. I've, I've been around Larry. I liked Larry, but he's being so ridiculous right now. How do you mention Larry Sharp on this show, John, and not mention the fact that he's dressed like he's in a bachelor auction right now? <laughs> yeah, Larry's wearing this, like, really cheesy, cheap uh, tuxedo uh, to the Morton Downey Jr. show. And, you know, he and Jim Wilson can join the best-dressed guys. I don't know. Yeah, like, when, when Larry Sharp came in, Jimmy Hart told him to have a little class. <laughs> I mean, yeah, like I said, Larry was great, uh, but, you know, I mean, for him to be com- complaining about reverse discrimination in the wrestling business in the 70s, of all things, is a bit of an embarrassment. I, yeah, it clearly was. Larry was a very good wrestler, but, but he was. let's ignore the fact that Tony Atlas wasn't pushed because he was black. All you have to do is look at Tony Atlas and, and, and how insanely jacked he was in the late 1970s to know why. He got 900 bucks a week and Larry Sharp didn't. Larry Sharp had the build of a guy who painted houses. Yes. And Larry apparently, you know, I mean, Tony Atlas had a physique in the 70s that matched superstar Billy Graham. So right there, he's immediately going to be a draw. And Tony Atlas was. And there's a reason why Tony was a draw. And and Larry Sharp just wasn't a draw anywhere. Thomas, we got through this. This was, I hope, I think you and I made a good job turning lemons into lemonade here today. So my hair is white now after this episode. <laughs> it, it turned a shock of white. Uh, it, like it was a better, I think it was a better concept uh, or a far better concept in my mind than it was, you know, coming out. But I think Thomas and I got a good conversation out of it. And wait, we're going to do a quick Extra inning segment. Thomas, the uh, college football season kicks off. It's going to be eight days from the day that this podcast is released. And let's let's make some predictions about this year's upcoming, the two, the 2023 college football season. I'll let you go first. Okay. Uh, the, the first college football one I will make is the conferences. Uh, I don't think they'll go chalk this year. I, I think the playoff will uh, have have the, ma- the major teams in it. Uh, I think Notre Dame can make a run. I think Ohio State has problems at quarterback. I think Alabama has problems at quarterback. So I think Alabama and Ohio State will, you know, eliminate themselves from national change of contention. I do like Joe Milton in Tennessee. I think Tennessee is going to be my pick for the national champion. I saw uh, moving that. Forward, moving forward to the playoffs, I like Penn State to win the Big Ten. I think how I how I envision this working out was. Penn State running the table because they have Drew Aller at quarterback, a freshman, who is a lot better than Sean Clifford is, in my opinion. So I think they're going to have a, a passing game to, to, to balance out, and that's going to be enough to beat Michigan, enough to beat Ohio State. I do like Oregon in the Pac-12. I, I think Bo Nix is going to win the Heisman Trophy this year because uh, the fact of the matter is you get on the line in recent history, Teddy Bridgewater, Johnny Manziel, both guys, in my opinion, had better years the year following their Heisman Trophy win and never got in the ballpark. It's the Archie Griffin rule. So you can take Caleb Williams out of the equation, in my opinion, right now. So that leaves you about a handful of guys, and I think the best of that bunch is Bo Nick from Oregon. I think Florida State is going to 
take away the Clemson stranglehold of the ACC. I think they're doing, they had a great turnaround last year to where Mike Norvell can kind of, you know, not necessarily have a job for life, but I think he ha- he's in a great position to, you know, coach that team for a, a prolonged period. The Big 12 is interesting because I think that's a conference right now. It's like the Pac-12 last year where everyone at the top is going to cannibalize each other. Who do I think will win that division? Uh, well, if you ask me tomorrow, I'll tell you somebody different. If you ask me today, I am going to say Texas, but I do think Kansas State could make things interesting there. Going through the list here, uh, I mean, I think Notre Dame's going to have a run. I think my playoff right now is Tennessee, Penn State, Notre Dame, and we'll we'll go with Oregon from the Pac-12. Well, you took a couple of my predictions. Uh, Here are my notes. No Caleb Heisman, um, which means that Caleb Williams, I do not think, will repeat. It almost feels like they have, like you said, the Archie Griffin rule where he's the only guy who's going to win two Heismans. I don't know why they do that because Archie Griffin is not one of the greatest college football players ever, but it seems like you know they're determined not to give that Heisman out to the same guy twice. Uh, my personal pick is Marvin Harrison Jr. from Ohio State. State. I might as well keep picking Ohio State uh, wide receivers because I did last year. Um, another one that Thomas took away from me, reading straight from my notes, Penn State wins Big Ten East makes playoff. So we're both in the same line there. I think Penn State is going to win the East. Even if they lose a game, I think they're still going to come out ahead of Ohio State and Michigan this year. Uh, my surprise team is Texas A&M. I think they're going to go 11 and 1 in the regular season and then they will lose to Georgia in the SEC championship game and I think A&M will make the number 4 seed in the playoffs. So I'm I'm expecting big things from them this year. Um Thomas, one thing this is going to be like I'm not going to say after this season I'm done with college football. Far from it. But this is the last season where things were good, where we had, you know, we have big conferences, but as of next year, it's going to be two huge super conferences and then a step back with the ACC and the Big 12. Um, and next year, there's going to be 12 teams in the playoffs, which I hate. I absolutely hate. Four, in my opinion, is the right number. Every team that needs to be in the playoff gets in. And then maybe another team or two. Pretty soon we're going to be seeing, and this isn't, you know, me saying, you know, oh, uh, doom and gloom because I'm not getting what I want, but I, I bet within the next five years we will see an eight and four team in the playoff, and that's going to suck. Well, well, the fact is that I don't think it does suck because what makes the NCAA tournament so popular in basketball? It's that no matter who you are, when Midnight Madness rolls out in November or late October. You theoretically, I don't care if you're Kansas or you're Prairie View A&M, you have a chance to win the national championship. So even if you're a 16th seed and you're Prairie View A&M, you have to say, well, Kansas has to get through us to do it at least. But if you're Boise State and you go 12-0 and and you're rewarded by playing a bowl game in December – you know what? Maybe you're better than Alabama, but you know what? You're you're not a part of the ESPN family, so you know, run along. At least this way, when you allow 
12 teams in. Now, make no mistake. Make no mistake at all. It will be, you know, five from the, four from the SEC, three from the Big Ten, one from the ACC, maybe two from the ACC, one from the Big 12. There will be one token team in there, okay? The, the best of a lot of the, the MAC, of the Mountain West. Let's just call it the Mountain West. Come on, let's be real here. The Mountain West is going to get that token spot every year for the, the group of five. But at least then you can say, all right, they had, you know, Alabama had to go through San Diego State. There, there, no one can cry foul. Everyone can say it happened. We, we already watched these throwaway bowl games every year, and they, and they get great traction. People watch New Mexico State and Tulsa for a reason, because they like college football. And now we're giving them college football with stakes involved, which means, I'll think about this, John. How many guys that played in New Year's Six games over the last you know, six, seven years sat out that game because the game really didn't mean nothing? It's happened. I mean, it's a, a kind of new trend that I, I'm, I'm not really fond of, but I understand why they do it. But you're, I see where you're going. They might not sit out if they're actually playing for a championship. Right. Do you think Brock Bowers, if, if Georgia goes nine and three this year and they play in the Citrus Bowl, do you think Brock Bowers is going to play? No, definitely not. Even if even if it's a a more a, a more prestigious bowl, if he's not in. In the playoff, which I think George is going to be in, and I think they're going to win, uh, you're right. A lot of guys are just going to sit that game out. Right, and other states involved, too, with this. So I think you're getting the – it's not only done – it's done for TV first and foremost. Let's not make a mistake there. But it also allows the audience to see the best players on the best stage. We've already established with this four-team playoff that if the Rose Bowl is not a part of the playoff, it's just an exhibition game at this point in time. The Orange Bowl is just an exhibition game. In, in the same token, it has the same equality as, as the, the the Bad Boy Weed Eater Bowl or the Gasparilla Bowl or the New Mexico Bowl. They all carry the same weight. At the end of the day, it's not Georgia and Alabama. So if you widen that to 12 teams, you at least say, okay, we at least have 11 games where it's, it's all or nothing. And you put 11 games out there. like, And I'll, and I'll keep in mind, too, this isn't going to be something to that first round where it's going to be high-priced donors and things like that going to the game. This is going to be, you know, round one will be in Tuscaloosa. Round two could be, round one will be in Death Valley or Happy Valley or the Shoe. They're going to be there. It's going to be a home game atmosphere for that. So logistically speaking, if Ohio State can't beat Wyoming, if they, you know, win the Mountain West for some reason, in the Horseshoe, in December, then they weren't one of the four best teams to begin with. Well, counterpoint, I mean, the Bulls have always been exhibition games. Even before they put the national championship game together in uh, starting in 1998, I mean, you'd always hear stories about, you know, one team going to a big bowl, like the Orange Bowl, like the Sugar Bowl, and just not caring, you know? Um <laughs> I mean, I remember Bill Watts screaming on Mid-South Wrestling when Oklahoma didn't show up for the Fiesta Bowl against Arizona State, and they just didn't. But, Thomas, more to your point, like, okay, San Diego State, if they go 12-0 and or, or, yeah, 12-0, and and they're in the playoff, you know, okay, that's that's good. I think San Diego State deserves a shot. But even with this new format, if UMass goes 12-0, and if North Texas goes 12-0, and uh, Louisiana Lafayette goes 12 and 0. Ball State, are they going to get in the playoff? I, I'm not sure. 
the way the way it was constructed was, and I think this will change now because the Pac-12 is guaranteed a, a playoff spot in this format, which will, will certainly change next year. But how it was uh, brought up was the four highest conference winners. So it, the, the, the four teams with buys can't be Georgia, Alabama, and LSU is three of the four. It's going to be four conference champions, okay? And then from there, five through 12 is seeded. So it guarantees one of the outside group a spot. And typically speaking, and, and there's outliers, there will be only maybe one team undefeated out of that group that runs the whole gamut. More so being because these teams play juggernauts in the opening weeks sometimes to, 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 to make their bones. I guess the only question about that will be, what if two teams go undefeated? Because uh, thankfully, if how I was worried it was going to work, it was going to be, okay, the group of five or Notre Dame can make the playoff. So they they kind of widen and say, okay, it's group of five. Notre Dame has to get on their own merit, which thankfully, you know, if you don't want to join a conference, you have to pay the consequence, I think, at this point in time. And I think it's almost blasphemous. They're pushing for Stanford and Cal in the ACC, and they get a vote, I couldn't believe, in the ACC uh, to get them in, but they won't join themselves. But I, I digress on that. That's a, that's a rant for another I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you on that. But I think it, it's going to play out fine. I, now, granted, I will be upset if a, you know 10-3 Alabama is the one seed, which I think could happen, because I mean, say what you want. ESPN does have a seat at the table with that, that selection committee. Oh, oh, there, there's no doubt about it. They don't pay $3 billion to let an independent you know, group of people pick who's going to be in these bowl games. No, I, I'm totally with you. And, you know, ESPN certainly has a, a, you know, an incredible amount of pull in all sports. I mean, you know, they would barely mention the NHL on, on SportsCenter back when, you know, uh, the, they weren't tied in with the NHL. And now they're back. The NHL is back on ESPN and they get plenty of coverage. It's the way it is. But yeah, I mean, you're right. ESPN. You know, because the Pac-12 did not join forces with ESPN, the Pac-12 is now essentially out of business. Hey, I, I make no mistake here. Um, if the ACC does start to whittle away, they will – I'm not saying they will lift the grant of rights for certain teams to escape to the SEC and Big 12 over the Big 10, but that will definitely happen. The Big Ten, SEC will get first pick on whoever they want at, once the ACC finally does, you know, begin to crumble. And it, it'll probably have to be Clemson and Florida State, not necessarily because those teams are, are more beneficial to the SEC, but it keeps the Big Ten out of South Carolina and Florida. Yeah, that, I, I'm having a hard time envisioning the SEC wanting Clemson only because they're already in South Carolina. Florida State, I can see the SEC taking, and I actually don't think the Big Ten is going to have any interest in Florida State because of academics. But to me, the crown jewel of the ACC is going to be North Carolina. And I foresee that as soon as that grant of rights thing goes away, whenever it does, it's supposed to end in 2036. It might end earlier. I mean, both the ACC and, excuse me, not the ACC, the, the Big Ten and the SEC are going to be after North Carolina. 
my, my prediction is still Clemson and Florida State to the SEC at some point, North Carolina and Miami to the Big Ten. And, well, I will say an outlier. Virginia could be interesting in the Big Ten as well. You could talk about Virginia and Miami perhaps for that. And then Virginia to the Big 12. And then really at that point in time, it, it, it's kind of a, whoever you want, whether it's NC State, Virginia Tech, Louisville, Pitt, whomever it is. Boston College could be in the Sun Belt in 10 years from now, John, or out of football completely. <laughs> Same with Syracuse. I mean, when the when the Big East uh, went away 20 years ago when BC you know, was it was was supposed to be left out of the ACC. I mean, they were talking about BC, you know, maybe having to move to, to uh, FCS. I mean, it's, it's that dead. I'll we can talk college football all day, but I, I have to wrap this up. I live about a half an hour from Boston and Boston college is completely irrelevant here. I can't remember the last time someone talked about BC. I can't remember the last time I saw anyone wearing anything BC related. They're not in the news. They're barely in the news. I mean, it's as if a major program down the road doesn't, does not exist. It's really crazy how the conference has kind of worked its way out just from the eighties on to now. When you think about in the 80s, the Big East voted, or actually the late 80s at this point in time, the Big East rejected Penn State by a vote of 5-3. to three. They turned down Penn State. More importantly, maybe from a historical context, there was a team right, up, right down the road or up the road from you that turned down the Big East. Were you aware of this, John? Um, Boston College? Holy Cross turned down a spot in the Big East. Oh, that's right. I, that was back in the 70s. I forgot about that. You're right. They, and the comparison when the, when the Big East was collapsing is that Boston College was going to become the new Holy Cross. And they, they haven't yet, but I think they're on their way. Boston, yeah, Boston College, well, they got the ACC money coming. So they're going to, they're going to hold Pat right now. They're not going to go anywhere yet, but there's really no desire. I guess if, if, if at some point in time, the Big 12, the SEC, and the Big 10 do go to 2014. Someone will grab Boston College just to have that New England market. They won't be left out in the cold. But nobody cares about Syracuse. Really, Louisville and Cincinnati are kind of side by side. I think Louisville will be okay somewhere. But Pittsburgh, on the other hand, it could be a, a problem there because Penn State blocked them from the Big 10 when they brought Rutgers and Maryland in. West Virginia is right there. They, I, I live in, I live in Morgantown, West Virginia. It's the same media market as Pittsburgh, essentially. I can watch every Pitt game from my, my living room right now. So there's really no value in having Pittsburgh. The Big Ten, the same way. SEC, do they want to go into Western Pennsylvania? Maybe, but why? NC State, same thing. Virginia becomes interesting because of the academics for the Big Ten. Other than that, Virginia should really hope that UVA gets in the Big Ten. Otherwise, Virginia Tech will be in, in the Conference USA in 10 years. I, you know what? I don't see that. I think the SEC would, would, will grab Virginia Tech as soon as they're available because now you're in the state of Virginia. But like I said, I, and going back to what you said, I do remember like 89-ish, uh, the Big East only wanted Penn State uh, as, as football only. And my reaction was, you've got to be kidding me. This is the, the best university you can get. You know, never mind Miami. You want Penn State. 
and they wouldn't let Penn State in as a, a full conference member. Who knows what football would have looked like 10 years ago, 20 years ago, had they not done something so dumb. But, Thomas, I want to thank you for, for being on Stick to Wrestling. You've invested a lot of time in this this afternoon. I appreciate it. Always a pleasure, John. Thank you. All right, my PlayStation 2 is waiting for me. Uh, I want to thank Lou Kippelman for all the great work he does producing Stick to Wrestling. And again, thank you for your time this afternoon, Lou. Uh, I want to thank Brian Lass for giving me this forum. I want to thank all of you for listening. We'll be back next week. This has been a production of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. This concludes our podcast day.